All right. Well, um, it's good to see everybody with us uh, this evening, and uh, thank you for uh, your faithfulness to uh, discipleship class. And so here we are, class number six. I was talking with uh, brother right before class started. It's hard to believe we're already in the you know six out of thirty-six. Somebody do the math. That's one sixth of the way uh, through this tonight. So, um, but anyway, praise God. Inward realities, outward expressions. The work of the ministry and hopefully Generation Christ are going to be the things we're going to try to uh, cover tonight. For those of you who are watching live, we've had a few little hiccups um, with uh, internet, but we should be okay if we were by some chance to drop out on the internet. Just hang in there. We'll, we'll be right back to you. But we should be fine. Praise God. All right. Well, amen. Let's pray and, and we'll get right to it. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your kindness, your patience, Lord. Thank you that you are, are long-suffering where we're concerned, Lord, and that when we woke up this morning, we, we woke up to new mercies, Father, fresh, fresh mercy, fresh understanding, fresh love, Father. And so as we come before you and before your word tonight, Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit. We thank you for his indwelling presence in our lives. We thank you that he is here to help us and to lead us and guide us into the truth that you have for us. Father, I thank you that we are continuing in your word, and we are your disciples indeed, and we are learning and knowing the truth that is enabling us to live in freedom, Father. Thank you for your mercy, Lord, your grace. Thank you for all that you have prepared, prepared for us, Lord. Help us bring our hearts to attention here and receive it now. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. and amen. Praise God. So again, uh, class number six, inward realities, outward expressions. The work of the ministry, Generation Christ, are some of the topics that we are shooting for tonight. <laughs> Amen. But with that said, let's do a little bit of review, and, and I won't do much, but I do want to do a little bit. And this, these two verses from uh, last week, uh, to me, just so capture uh, you know, the commitment that's necessary for discipleship. And it's from the Passion Translation. Then he said to them, be diligent to understand the meaning behind everything you hear. For as you do, more understanding will be given to you. And according to the depth of your longing to understand, much more will be added to you. For those who listen with open hearts will receive more revelation. But those who don't listen with open hearts will lose what little they think they have. Now sometimes, I don't think I did, I know I didn't as a matter of fact, during the uh, opening prayer for this class, but sometimes you'll hear me in, in prayer, I'll, I'll say something to this effect, Father, we're here for revelation, not information. We're here for revelation, not information. Information appeals to the, to the mind, to the intellect. Revelation is something uh, that takes place inwardly where the Holy Spirit enables us to see things or He reveals things to us that we cannot see and will never understand any other way unless He opens our understanding and reveals those things to us. So that's, that's revelation. It's the supernatural ability to see things uh, that you were previously blinded to or, or do not have the ability to see. And so, for, for example, Ephesians 1, we're instructed to pray without ceasing that God would give to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of God, that we would have this constant unveiling and revealing to us of, of the mysteries and, and the wisdom of God. Re remember when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And so again, that's uh, a classic example 
of what we mean by revelation. It was, it was Peter coming to the understanding of something, not from the outside of himself into himself, but from the inside of himself out of himself. Amen. That's revelation. And so he says, for those who listen with open hearts will receive more revelation. But those who don't listen with open hearts will lose what little they think they have. So according to the depth of your longing to understand, this same verse from the Amplified, and he said to them, be careful what you are hearing. The message, I'm sorry, the message, the measure of thought and study you give to the truth you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that comes back to you and more besides will be given to you who hear. And then we finished, and I kind of rushed this part. I'll just repeat it again. We spent a considerable amount of time with the parable of the sower, but I said to make it just as simple as I know how to make it, you have the group of people who quit before they understood. You have the group of people who quit before they became established in the Word, before they understood the Word, before they became established in the Word. Then you've got those who quit and never knew they did, right? It was a slow fade. But then you have those who never quit. Those who never quit. And one of my uh, favorite, uh, and I've told it more than once here of late, but one of my favorite ways to illustrate this from Scripture is when Jesus taught a sermon that people didn't understand, and so they didn't follow Him. They weren't His disciples anymore. They left Him. Later that evening, Jesus asks the inner circle, are you leaving me also? And Peter says again, where else, (laughs) you know, Peter outspoken, right? Where else would we go? Um, you have the words of eternal life. In other words, he, he recognized, notice the commitment there, he recognized that Jesus had answers that he couldn't find anywhere else. But also, Peter did not understand the sermon earlier that day. But notice, he refused to quit even though he didn't understand. He refused to quit before he put down roots and became established in this eternal truth. And, and, and so again, people who, who don't quit have opportunity uh, that other people have to quit. You just don't take it. Are you following what I'm saying? Are you hearing me? Uh, you know, that's really, I think, such a, a, a simple but yet hugely defining factor in discipleship and our, and our growth up into the things of God is just a willingness to continue, 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 continue in the Word, continue in these things. When you don't understand, continue. If you're not yet established in it, continue. Uh, amen, right? Don't let other things come in and choke it out, but continue because those who never quit, what they experience? 30, 60, 100-fold return on the Word of God in their lives. Now, we'll circle back around. Uh, we, we'll do at least a class and a half, maybe two classes um, on um, the living and powerful Word of God and, and what that looks like and how it produces results in our lives. Uh, but So just kind of keep that in the back of your heart and mind. Now, this next, uh, and I'll just put a couple of words up on the screen. Uh, The first word rhymes with attitude, but it's not attitude. Uh, It's aptitude versus attitude, okay? Aptitude, A-P-T-I-T-U-D-E versus attitude, A-T-T-I-T-U-D-E, for those of you who are uh, listening and not watching the screen overlays, okay? So aptitude versus attitude, Let's talk for a moment about the difference between these two. Aptitude has to do with our inherent ability. When you were in school and you took an aptitude test, those tests are often uh, required by the government because the government is wanting to know what you've learned up until this point in your school progress. 
So a scholastic aptitude test, amen, is to see what you already know, what you already understand, what's already on board, so to speak. So your aptitude then would, would have to do with your inherent ability, all right? But aptitude and attitude have a powerful relationship to one another, okay? I'm sure nobody in this room, but you probably know somebody who had the aptitude to make straight A's in school, but struggled with C's and D's because they didn't have the right attitude towards school. I see some of you looking up at the ceiling. Amen. All right. So this, I think, is the simplest way to illustrate what we mean by aptitude and attitude. So when it comes to a born-again believer, everyone, well, for that matter, even if you're not yet born again, uh, the door is still open. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, right? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the opportunity, or we could say the aptitude for discipleship, uh, everyone has that. Uh, but not everyone has the attitude. That's why we emphasized multiple times last week that discipleship is about a lot of things. Discipleship is a lot of things. But one of the key factors in discipleship is attitude. It's an, it's an attitude uh, towards God. It's an attitude towards the things of God. And, of course, when we talk about attitude, we know the first point of Jesus' first public, public sermon was attitude, right? The Beatitudes. And I want you to think then... Uh, and I could spend 30 minutes on this, but I'll try to spend three. Uh, we haven't heard from heaven since the last prophet in the uh, Old Testament uh, re recording, right? And then all these hundreds of years, and now, of course, we have John the Baptist, who's the last final prophet of the Old Testament era. We'll talk more about that in the days to come, who is preparing the way for Jesus, okay? So we've actually been waiting, though, for Jesus to arrive since the Garden of Eden, when uh, Adam and Eve sinned and Father God came on the scene, made them some more permanent clothing and began to declare that one day seed would come from a woman that would crush the head of the serpent. And of course that seed was none other than Jesus himself. So we've been waiting all this time for Jesus to come. Now he's here on earth as a man. We now have to wait 30 years because he was born of a virgin, born under the law. And by law, he could not begin a public ministry until he turned 30. Now he's 30 years old. We've waited all these generations. Now we've waited three more decades. He's here. He opens his mouth to speak. The first point of his first public sermon was attitude. That ought to tell us something right there about the importance of attitude. Because Jesus knew that if we did not have the right attitude, we would miss everything that he came to give to us and to do for us. Now, I want to throw a couple of words up on the screen here as well. And this word repent, repent from the original language equals metanous. Metanous. And I want to show you that because in the transliteration of the Greek, meta means a change in condition and nous means mind. It means you're thinking, okay? So when John the Baptist preached a message of repentance, when Jesus preached a message of repentance, when Jesus sent his disciples to preach a message of repentance, when Jesus sent the first 70 missionaries to preach a message of repentance, he was declaring to the people that they needed a new way of looking at things or a new condition of mind, or we could say a new attitude, a new attitude, all right? Now, there are those who say that Jesus preached love and acceptance. I don't know if you've ever heard that. That's a big thing in our, in our world today. 
And one of my favorite Bible teachers, Keith Moore, he was listening to, uh, it was a secular uh, news anchor, talk show host, who was interviewing uh, a very well-known pastor. And you know how sometimes they try to set the, the, the ministers up by asking them loaded questions and stir up controversy. And so he was asking him about some of these different, you know, hot topic, uh, you know, issues in our world today. And he throws this question at this well-known minister. He says, but didn't Jesus preach a message of love and acceptance? And you could tell he kind of took that particular minister off guard. And he said, well, yes, he did. And, of course, Brother Keith Moore knows this minister. He's watching this show. And he said, clear as a bell, the Holy Spirit inside of him said, no, I didn't. No, I didn't. Jesus said, no, I didn't. Okay. Now, on the surface, that sounds, wow, okay. Well, if he didn't preach love and acceptance, what did he preach? Jesus certainly preached love, okay. But we could say it this way. Jesus preached love and repentance. There's a big difference, right? <laughs> There's a big difference between, actually, he preached the kingdom of God and repentance. Repent for the kingdom is at hand. But, I, see, this is where you have to watch the enemy and how the words can get manipulated and leave us with this impression. Uh, it's, Jesus loved people. I mean, remember, they were about to, you know, literally stone the brains out of this woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus said, the one without sin, throw the first rock at her. Uh, he loved her. He forgave her. What he was literally saying is, don't drag her outside and kill her for her sin. I'm going to let you drag me outside and kill me for her sin. So he wasn't sweeping it under the rug. But remember what he told her. He said, now go and sin no more. So he, he did preach love. But Jesus' primary message was one of repentance. Now, I was raised up in church, and for many years of my life, I thought repentance meant stop sinning, <laughs> right? You need to repent. You're going to hell. You need to repent, right? And so, you know, we'd come to the altar. God, forgive us, you know. And you would often hear repentance in, in, the, in the idea of doing a 180. Anybody ever heard it, repentance explained that way? You know, where if you're going this way, uh, you're going the wrong way, you need to turn and go that way. Turn or burn, you know, hellfire and brimstone, these kinds of, these kinds of sermons, right? Uh, one pastor got confused and he said, you need to do a 360. And you maybe figure that out later tonight, but you don't do a 360 because 360 means you, they just turn around. Yeah, amen. All right. So, so for many years of my life, I understood repentance has stopped sinning. Okay, and, and certainly repentance should affect our actions and behavior. But if how we think never changes, how we behave will never change either, right? So Jesus addressed love and repentance and repentance being a new condition of mind. Now, I'll refer to this one passage. We could look at a whole slew of passages in renewing the mind and setting your mind. But Colossians 3.2 we're instructed to set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And the, um, there's a lot of truth and important things to talk about here in this passage, but really it's that one word for now, anyway, that I want to draw your attention to, and that's the word set, S-E-T. Set your mind. This is speaking to a deliberate and intentional action on your part and on my part. Are you following me? If you set your mind, if you set your mind, so much of what we do is what I call automatic thinking, where we've thought in certain patterns and in certain ways and in certain veins for so long that 
you know, we have automatic thoughts that produce automatic responses in our lives. And what he's saying now is you've got to change the settings. Different ways we could illustrate this. Um, think, think about, you know, you get a computer, new computer, you turn it on, and it comes with configured with factory settings. Um, not long after, you know, you put that laptop into service, you're probably going to change the wallpaper. You're going to change the screensaver. In other words, you're going to, you're going to reset how it came from the factory. And, and, and again, all this would require a deliberate and intentional action on your part. So when we talk about setting our minds, Satan is hoping that we will just, you know, put our minds in neutral and let them coast and, and go wherever, uh, you know, circumstances and situations and things going on around us may, may take us or push us or draw us or pull us or lead us, okay? To set the mind, though, is speaking of a deliberate and intentional action. Are you with me? A deliberate, intentional action. Uh, here's here's a, a classic example. Some of the folks that are in the room watching right now are part of a uh, a ministry program uh, where we do daily Bible reading, morning Bible reading. Amen. Where we you know get together and public reading of Scripture. And and I say daily, daily Bible reading. It's literally public reading of Scripture, where we see the the words on the screen and voices reading that right. And um, <clears throat> listen, I'm sitting there. If I'm not careful. I'm thinking about what I got to do after lunch today while that's happening, right? So to set your mind, it's just one way to, another way to illustrate this. To set your mind is, is speaking of a deliberate, intentional action. Now, I'm not going to rail against these things, and I certainly don't want anybody to be offended by these things. But here in the United States of America, um, one, of, you know, one of these rising diagnoses is this idea of, of an attention deficit disorder. Okay, and listen, again, I'm not trying to offend anybody, but there are, you know, developed countries in the world that laugh at us because they have no version of that, all right? And, and so you don't let the enemy label you. Don't let the enemy put a tag on you uh, and, and buy into this idea that we, we don't have the capacity to pay attention, that we don't have the capacity to set our minds on things. It... it is it easier for some people than others? Yes, but with the Lord's help, we can set our minds, and the more we endure in setting our minds on things, the, the more we can uh, develop that skill and that ability. Uh, it, it would be just like, you know, if you were going to go, uh, you, you set a goal to run a marathon or a half marathon by, you know, March of next year. Well, you would have to start building up your endurance to be able to run that kind of distance. Uh, you say you're going to go to the sanctuary right now and pray for an hour. Well, if you're not used to praying, you, you know, you pray about everything and everybody you've ever known in your lifetime and seven minutes went by, you know. So, but you could, build, you could build up your endurance. And so in the same way, remember we talked about this in some of the first classes, one of the signs of the times in the last days is that people will not endure sound doctrine. If we're going to have the truth built into and established into our lives, put roots down into it and have that truth producing results in our lives, it's going to require some endurance on our part and it's certainly going to require an ability on our part to set our minds on the things of God. It's one of Satan's strategies in these last days is to overwhelm us with information, overwhelm us uh, so that we never have time 
to think our own thoughts. He wants to be constantly feeding you thoughts from other sources, right? So that you never have time to develop your ability to hear from the Holy Spirit and think and meditate and speak and set your mind on the things of God. Please be aware of that. Please do not be ignorant of the devil's devices. The Bible says if we're ignorant of how he works and what he's trying to do, then that will give him an advantage. It will give him the upper hand over us. And so you need to practice. I need to practice. I do this. You need to do this. If you're not doing this, you need to do it. If you are doing it, perhaps you maybe need to do it even more. You need to practice getting still, meditating on the Word of God, setting your mind, deliberate intentional action on the things of God. Amen. We live in a negative world. If you do nothing in this negative world, you will become a negative person. Amen. The Bible says, do not be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that idea of confirmation, conformity, not confirmation, but conformation. I don't know if that's that a word. Amen. But the idea is think of outward pressure being applied to clay, molding and shaping it. And so the outward pressure of this world is trying to, to, to shape and form and mold the way we think and the way we speak and ultimately the way that we act. All right. Now, a significant shift always includes... A significant if. And what is going on here? Sit your... That is weird. That is weird. That is weird. All right. Huh. Here we go again. All right. We are... It must have whenever we skipped something there a while ago. I don't know. All right. So, not that you need to know this other than if what's coming out of my mouth is something different on the screen, somebody go, <clears throat> just kind of, or whatever. Because they're not synced here, here, and there. But I'll get it. Holy Spirit will help me. Okay. So a significant shift always involves a significant if. All right. So when we're talking about setting our minds and the attitude of a disciple and discipleship being an attitude and shifting from the attitudes of this world to the attitudes that would be uh, conducive to what God's designed to develop and produce in our lives, we're talking about making a significant shift. And so a significant shift always involves a significant if. Let me give you a few examples. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 22, the lamp of the body is the eye. If, if, therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. If your eye is good. And literally, without doing a lot of teaching on this right now, your eye being good is talking about your eye being single. It's talking about this singular focus as opposed to an eye that is bad would, would speak to fragmented focus uh, where you like seeing double, okay? So the singular focus, so if your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. And he's talking about the things that you focus on, the things that I focus on, okay? Here's one from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 29. But uh, from there you will seek the Lord your God, and you will find Him if you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul, okay? So notice there's another significant if. If you seek Him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's Deuteronomy chapter 4. And verse 29, related to that one is Jeremiah 29, uh, 13. Um, let's see here. All right, so that's interesting. Let's see if that'll work. Okay. All right, it did work. All right. So he says, and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. When you search for me with all your heart. Okay. So it's amazing to me to hear people's stories People who, um, you know, didn't really know a whole lot about God, wasn't raised in church, didn't really know much about the Bible, 
but because they had this desire in their heart to, to know God and to understand the truth, how the Holy Spirit comes alongside and reveals Himself to them. All right? Now, let's see here. Praise God. There we go. All right. So this brings us then to um, some new stuff. All right? A lot of that was review and kind of finishing off some of the things we didn't get to last week. And, and this point right here is uh, one that we've made in different ways already. But I'm going to say it a little differently and show you to you in some different verses uh, this evening. And this point is discipleship reveals Christ in us. Discipleship reveals Christ in us. All right, I'm going to say it one more time. Discipleship reveals Christ in us. We see from Colossians chapter 1, uh, 26 and 27, it says, The mystery which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God will to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles. And it's like, drum roll please, right? What is this great mystery? What is this thing that's been kept a secret? What is this great news and how do we, you know, how is it expressed in, in one simple uh, phrase or terminology? And, and that, that mystery is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Come on now. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen. Christ in you, the hope of glory. So when you are born again, when I was born again, amen. Christ is now in us. The Bible also teaches that, that we are in Him and that He is in us. It's this beautiful picture of fellowship with God, this oneness that we now have with God. So Christ in you, the hope of glory. That word hope, think confident expectation. That word glory, think everything that God is and everything that God has. Christ in you, the confident expectation of all that God is and all that God has. Now, Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. This is a, a, a pivotal verse, and I'm going I'm to leave it on the screen for a minute. I know it's, it's been a few minutes since I've been back uh, on the uh, video screen. Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul says to the church in Galatia, My little children, for whom I labor in birth again... Until Christ is formed in you. So this verse screams discipleship. Okay? Screams discipleship. Because he's talking about something that is taking place after they've been born again. Okay? So again, my little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. Now, we, we look at this verse and we think, okay, what, what in the world is he talking about here? So let me just try to explain it in, in ways that you can understand. First of all, what, what he's saying leading up to it, but then the part where he's talking about Christ being formed in them. Okay, So the Apostle Paul would go into areas that had never heard the name of Jesus and would preach... And people would be born again, and then they would establish churches. They would train up and raise up pastors for those churches, and then he would go somewhere else and do it again. So you probably know this in case someone is listening right now and doesn't know. The New Testament contains letters to these churches. 
So there was a place called Galatia, and this is a letter to the church at Galatia or to the Galatian believers. Same is true for Colossae, the Colossian believers. Same is true concerning the church at Rome, the Roman believers. So it was the letter uh, to the church at Rome, the, the book of Romans. Two letters to Corinth, okay? <laughs> Long letters to Corinth. Big church, thriving church, new church, lots of people, but lots of confusion, lots of things that, questions that they had, confusion that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul uh, is, is helping them with, okay? And so what we see then is that he's come to Galatia, he's worked, he's labored until these folks are born again. Now he's saying, I'm laboring in birth again. He labored the first time. If you're doing something again, if you're laboring again, it, it implies what? That you've labored previously. So he labored the first time to see them born again. Now he's laboring that they might, what? Come to the knowledge of the truth. Remember, God's desires for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's one of our cornerstone verses. Yes? Yes. Am I... Am I have you figured out by now some of these all these classes have kind of a little bit different tone flavor to them? Okay, all right. So, you know, we're just, we're just laying it down tonight, okay? We're going to get to some more. Maybe I'll graze my voice and froth at the mouth a little bit. But just, amen, let's, let's get some stuff set in place. Because this right here, I'm telling you, this right here, if you'll let the Holy Spirit reveal this to you, it is, it is life-changing. Amen. It is, it is life-changing, okay? So just let me... Let me just take my time and, and, and spell it out to you line upon line, okay? So he says, I'm laboring now in birth again until Christ is formed in you. Until Christ is formed in you. What he's saying here is I'm now working with you to serve you and to, and to help you and to disciple you. Watch this now. Until the inward realities of the new birth become an outward expression of life until the inward realities of the new birth become an outward expression of life. I'm going to say that a few more times. Until the inward realities of the new birth. When you were born again, things changed inwardly. And when I say reality, the root of reality is what? Real. I'm talking about things that are real. Okay? Things that became true about you the moment you were born again. Things that were given to you. For example, 1 Corinthians 2 tells us that you have received, not will receive, pay close attention to the tenses here. You have received, not the spirit of this world, but you have received, past tense, have received the spirit who is from God so that you might know the things that have been freely given to you by God. That you might know the things that have been, not will be given to you, have been given to you by God. Ephesians 1.3 says you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Second Peter 1.4, we'll get to all these verses. I see some of you grabbing your pens, okay? Second Peter 1.4 says you have been given everything that pertains to life and godliness. Not will be given, have been given. Amen? 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2.24, right? By his stripes you were healed. Not will be healed. You were healed. He's talking about what belongs to you now as a child of God. What you've already been given. What you've already been made. What you've already become. Amen. Okay? But see, it wasn't your body that was born again. And it wasn't your soul that was born again. It was your spirit that was born again. Your spirit became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Your spirit became one with God. Your spirit... 
you are a spirit. I'm talking about the real you now. Became just as right with God in the eyes of God as Jesus. Your born again spirit is just as free from sin as Jesus is free from sin. He made you free. He made you righteous. He made you well. He made you whole. He made you sound. He made you prosperous. He came up underneath the curse with us, lifted that curse off of us and carried it away so that the blessing of Abraham could now come upon even the non-biological descendants of Abraham. Amen. Again, all of this is true about you now. True about you right now. So what is Paul doing? Paul says, I labored among you to bring you to Christ. Now I'm laboring among you to bring Christ through you. In other words, the inward realities, the inward realities of the new birth becoming an outward expression of life. Amen. Inward realities. It's one thing to be made righteous. But it's another thing for the righteousness that you have been made to be experienced and enjoyed in your outward life reality. It's one thing to be free from sin. It's another thing to live free from sin. Remember again, if the Son makes you free, Spirit, then you shall be free in your performed action. You shall be free indeed. Spirit, soul, body. Spirit, soul, body. Come and I will give. It's on the title slide. I was pointing to the title slide. That's not up there. Remember what Jesus said. Come and I'll give. Learn, discover, and uh, learn and you will discover. Learn and you will find. Come and I'll give you rest. Learn of me and you will discover rest. You will discover what he's already given you. He's already given you rest. Your spirit's at rest tonight. Your spirit is at, is at rest tonight because your spirit is secure. Are you hearing me? When you were born again, the Holy Spirit sealed you. The Bible says you've been sealed. You have been sealed. What does that mean? If something is sealed, think, think about, um, uh, oh, I don't know, jar of mayonnaise. That's odd, okay? If that jar of mayonnaise is sealed, okay, then what's in the mayonnaise is not getting out, and what's on the outside of the jar of mayonnaise isn't getting in. Amen? That was, why mayonnaise? I don't know why that come out of me. Okay, so, amen. All right, so... If something is sealed, whatever is sealed inside can't get out, and whatever's on the outside can't get in. So your born-again spirit has been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, I'm fixing to freak you out, and I don't have time to explain this, and I don't know how I'm fixing to say it, but somebody's pulling this out of me. This is why 1 John says that if you've been born again, it's not just that you don't sin, it's that you can't sin. And you, I'm quoting Bible now. Somebody go, oh, hold on a second. No, no, again, just remember, don't quit before you understand. Amen. Don't quit before you understand. But see, there are all kinds of things in the Bible you will never understand until you understand spirit, soul, and body. You are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. How about this one? Watch this. Hebrews 10, 14. He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Your born again spirit has been perfected forever. It has been perfected forever. If you believe the Word of God, if you believe what Jesus did for you, if you believe He left no stone unturned, amen, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So He's talking about your spirit has been perfected forever, but your soul and then ultimately your life reality is a work in progress. Three-dimensional thinking here, okay? Thinking in three dimensions. You still with me up in the house? Okay, so we're talking about 
discipleship, discipleship is intended to reveal Christ in us. Remember what they said at Antioch. These people are acting like Christ. How could they act like Christ to the point that people who weren't even believers were saying they're acting like Christ? It's because Christ was in them and now Christ is Jesus in them, right? In, is an inward reality, but now it's becoming this outward expression of life. We are capable of so much, but we settle for so little. Amen. I heard... I've been listening to a, a book by Dr. Chow. I used to say Dr. Cho. I didn't know his name was Chow. Amen. Anybody ever heard of him? He, he left, uh, went home to be with Jesus uh, a couple of years ago. Um, he uh, pastored a church, one single congregation. You ready? 830,000 members. Seoul, South Korea. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, listening to a, a book by him, and that was one of the things that he said. He said, we're capable of so much, but yet are willing to settle for so little. Willing to settle for so little. So let me give you a verse that goes along with this. Um, Philemon, there's only one uh, chapter in Philemon. So when you see Philemon 6, that's verse 6, okay? And it says this, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. See, because you're in Christ Jesus, there are good things in you. Amen. But notice what he's instructing you and me to do. He's instructing us to acknowledge. See, this is step one. If the inward realities of the new birth are ever going to become an outward expression in your life, you, they've got to begin with you acknowledging that these things are in you. Are you following what I'm saying? If you never acknowledge that you've been made righteous, if you never acknowledge that you've been set free, if you never acknowledge that you're a new creation, if you never acknowledge, amen, that you have an anointing from the Holy One and know all things, if you never acknowledge Christ in you, the confident expectation of all that God is and all that God has, if you never acknowledge that you've been given the same glory according to John 17 that was given to Jesus, the same love that was given to Jesus, the same Holy Spirit that was given to Jesus, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you now, making alive every cell in your physical body. All of these are inward realities of the new birth. But do you realize how few, how few of God's children on planet earth today know anything about any of this? It's because they haven't been taught it. They haven't been told it. And it requires some labor. It requires some effort. So notice now what Paul said. Again, he says, I labored among you until Christ is formed in you. But Jesus didn't tell us to go make believers. He said, go make disciples. Becoming a believer and receiving salvation is the entry point into the kingdom. But the instructions are not just get as many people saved as you can get saved, but disciple people, right? So obviously... Paul, being led of the Spirit, he understood that message. And so he wasn't through once the Galatians got saved and were happily tucked into a Bible-believing church. He was continuing to labor among them so that the realities of the new birth that were in them would become outward expressions of life. Now, notice what Philemon is saying here, that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. 
So notice, it's not just, remember I told you this, class one or class two. These classes are designed and hopefully will and are helping you. But it's not just about you. Discipleship is not just about you. It takes a disciple to make a disciple. Amen. And how can we ever help other people experience in their life reality, the inward realities of their new birth, if, if we're not, first of all, acknowledging these things within ourselves, but also allowing the Holy Spirit of God and the Word of God and people that God's put in place in our lives to serve us and to help us, right, develop these same things ourselves. Remember what I told you, the devil steals 100% of the Word that you never hear, right? Let me tell you what else he steals. He steals stuff that you don't know you have. Colossians, Paul to the Colossians, speaking along these same lines. He says, beware lest anyone cheat you. Literally, the literal word is spoil you, but not like, you know, uh, somebody would spoil a child by not uh, disciplining and training that child, but spoil like the spoils of war. Take from you what's yours. And so one of the simplest ways that Satan is able to steal, spoil, and cheat God's people is by taking things from us that we don't even know we have, that we don't even know are ours. Amen. Amen. And you, and you hear it in the music. You hear the ignorance of these things in, 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 in some of the so-called Christian music that, has, that is not based upon the Scriptures. Let me give you an example of this, okay? And I'm not trying to, again, please don't get frustrated at me. I'm here to help you. I'm here. I love you. I'm trying to show you, right? But, but there are so many songs. It was a surge of them just a, a year or so ago, and it's kind of starting to taper off again. Um, you, can hear, you can learn a lot about where the body of Christ is by the, the trends in so-called Christian music, okay? And anybody besides me, anybody besides me, pay attention and notice how many songs... How many songs surge to the top of the charts talking about how broken we are? How broken we are. We're broken people. We're brokenhearted. We're broken individuals. We're, we're, see, again, the devil wants you to think of yourself as broken. Jesus has made you whole. You're not a broken man or woman. But as long as you think like a broken man or woman, as long as you see yourself as a broken man or woman, you're not acknowledging the wholeness that you were made the day you were made a new creation in Christ Jesus. So we have to acknowledge that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We have to acknowledge that greater is He who is in us than He who is in the world. We have to acknowledge, amen, that we've been given authority over Satan and can cast him out and put him in his place. If we never acknowledge these things. So you hear people talk about, well, I'm storming the gates of heaven. Are you kidding me? You're seated together with Jesus in heavenly places. That is your spiritual birthright. That is, that is who you are in Christ. And that is where you are in Christ. But do you realize how many born-again believers... First of all, we'll argue that the Bible doesn't say that when it absolutely does say it in Ephesians 2 and other places, right? But notice, then it comes to this acknowledging it. Acknowledging these, these inward realities of the new birth. If we never acknowledge them, it, you can live your whole life. You can live your whole life with these, with these realities of the new birth inside of you and never experience or enjoy any of them to any meaningful extent in your life. Whew. I'm trying to stir you up now if you had not figured it out by now. I'm, I'm, it took us a minute to get here, but I'm, I'm here now. Amen. 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 So do you, do you see why Satan is so opposed to discipleship? 
Do you see why the devil never wants you to understand the Word of God? Certainly never wants you to put roots down into it. And if you do, and that Word starts producing fruit in your life, he's going to do everything he can to try to sow other things into your life to grow up around it and choke it out. Because if you don't quit, the Word of God will produce these, these outward expressions of these inward realities. Amen. See, we, we have this, and we'll spend some classes on this. Some of these things are just firing off in me, and I, I want to just go with it, okay? We, we are so confused in the thinking that what we do determines who we are. We, we live in a, in a world that, that determines being by doing. What you do determines who you be. And it's just the opposite. Who you be, who you be determines what you do, okay? But now being is spirit, doing is flesh, doing is body, okay? But notice in between your spirit and your body is your mind, Right? So remember what we said last week about those who are carnal. These are born-again men and women who still think like, who still have the attitude of someone who has not been born again. And that was the case with the people in Galatia. They've been born again. But unless somebody teaches them, unless, unless they're willing to make a commitment to be taught, like the people in Antioch, I don't know how many times a week they went to class and, and, and sat under the ministry of Paul and Barnabas, but we see that in the space of about a year, after uh, uh, you know, this, this great uh, commitment of heart and, and, and this great purpose of heart to continue in, in the things of God, that the inward realities of the new birth were becoming such outward expressions of life that people around them were noticing. And do you not think those folks, those believers in Antioch, were certainly enjoying levels of peace in their life that they've never thought possible, measures of joy in their life that they never thought possible? Freedom from, from sin and from depression and the anxiety that causes it. The rest. Do you not think those born again believers in Antioch that were experiencing in their outward expression of life, these inward realities of the new birth? I mean, again, we're talking about next level living here. We're talking about how God originally intended for his people to live and enjoy and experience and express life. And then also, I keep getting circling back around to this and taking another avenue off of it, but then that comes back to how much more effective then would the sharing of their faith be, right? You know, somebody like, oh, man, people talk are just like Christ, you know, right? But then, you know, they, they out walking their dog one, one evening and, and uh, they hear singing coming from your house, right? <laughs> or... You know, or they, you know, they get some bad news and they're like, hey, you know, it's conversation across the fence. Because now all of a sudden they want to know why you're happy all the time. They want to know why you're not complaining about the price of gas. They want to know why you seem to be at rest no matter what's going on in, in the government. And what's happening in the economy. And you seem to still be prospering and thriving. Right? See, th th this is what, <laughs> you, you ain't got to beg somebody to come to church with you when that's happening in your life. They, they'll come to you and want to know why. You're different and, and what's going on with you and why do you always seem to be so positive? The world don't know how to say what, you know, confidence and faith and boldness. They, they, you always seem to be so positive. You know? When people say these things and notice these things about you, don't just dismiss it and certainly don't say something, oh, well, you know, I'm just having a good day. Ha -ha. No, tell them. 
Bible says be ready to, to give an answer when people ask about what's up with you and, and, and why it is this way with you. So let me go back to it. 1 Corinthians 2. You have received, not the spirit of this world, but the spirit who is from God so that you might know the things, so that you might know the things that have been freely given to you by God. You've been given things that you don't know you have. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 14, 12, 14, somewhere right in there, right? Amen. We'll, we will spend that, half that chapter, we'll spend at least a class on that. So I'm just, again, these things, I didn't come prepared note-wise to share these things. But, but, see, but watch this now. Let's go back to being and doing. Does Father want you to live in freedom? Yes. Does He want you to live a righteous life? Yes. But how can you ever live righteously if you're not righteous? How can you ever live in freedom if you're not free? How, how can you ever experience soundness in your mind and emotions unless He first makes you sound and whole? I, I, let, let me see if I can say it this way, okay? I heard pastors when I was younger, not all of them, but some of them, you know, they, they would basically tell us that we were sinners, right? And then at the end, they would say, now go be good and go do right and go live righteously. See, religion will try to tell you that you are this, now live opposite to it, right? God's smarter than that. I said, God's smarter than that. How can a bound man live free? How can an unrighteous man live righteously? You've got to make him righteous first. You've got to set him free first. You've got to set sister free first, right? And Jesus knows if I make them free, then they've got a platform already deep inside of them from which to then live in freedom. Are you seeing this? God wants you to live righteously. So what did he do? He said, you know what? Jesus... You go become the punishment for everything they've ever done wrong, every sin they've ever committed, and then you give them the gift of your righteousness. He who knew no sin, he who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he who knew no sin became your sin and my sin so that we might be made, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Amen. So he made you righteous. Inwardly, your inward man, your spirit, your born-again spirit is just as right with God in the eyes of God as Jesus. Amen. All right, are you seeing this? Why, why would he give us such a lavish gift? Why would, why would he do that and then seal it in us? <laughs> he made you righteous and then he sealed it with the Holy Spirit. So that the righteousness that's in you can't, can't uh, uh, be stolen from you and the sin that's around you can't get inside and contaminate it, right? Why would he do such a thing? Because there's no other way for you to eventually or ever live a righteous life unless he first makes you righteous. And by him making you righteous, you now have the wherewithal to live righteously. See, this why the Bible, you read the Bible, you read the Bible, you'll never find in the Bible a command to be righteous. I know some, well, yes, you will. No, you won't. You will not. Okay? What you will find are things like this, that the Word of God... That the Word of God has been given for instructions in righteousness. So He makes you righteous. Now let me tell you what you will find. You will find, be holy for I'm holy. But holy and holiness 
is talking about you and I choosing to separate ourselves. Holiness and righteousness aren't the same thing. Holiness is talking about you and I separating ourselves, deliberate intentional act, from the contaminating things of this world. Amen? You still with me? I saw some of you kind of freaking out on me now. Yes, ma'am. Quick question loud so everybody can hear. Yes. I know exactly what you're asking. Okay. And yes. Okay. Are you acknowledging it? Yes. Come on with it, sister. <laughs> See, that's what we're doing now. We're acknowledging it, right? We're acknowledging it. And let me, t- let me tell you what that does when you acknowledge it, right? It makes you never want to go back to that pit ever again. Yeah. When, when, when I found out that the Holy Spirit went with that, to that pit with me, I thought, you know what? With your help, I'll never take you back down there again. Amen. Right? Right? See, that, that's the thing people don't understand. When Paul's correcting the Corinthians and telling them that your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit and you shouldn't go down to those temples, because what, what, in Corinth, you had generational idol worship, right? You had temples, heathen temples in Corinth, where they would go and feast and just, I mean, they would put on just every kind of food, rich foods, you know, that you could imagine, buffet, right? And then you could hire a temple prostitute to go in there and worship Aphrodite with. Amen. Right? And so these baby Christians, you know, they're like, hey, will not you go to church with me this Sunday? They say, okay, I'll go to church with you this Sunday if you'll go to the temple with me on Friday night. And they're like, okay. Right? And so they're going down there and, and they're getting caught up in this. They're struggling with making these transitions. They're still going down there and having sex with these temple prostitutes after they've been born again. And, and, and the Apostle Paul says, do you not understand that your members are the members of Christ and that when you join yourself to one of those temple prostitutes that you grieve the Holy Spirit who's in you? See, I had Sunday school teachers that tried to scare us and told us that if we committed a sin, the Holy Spirit would leave us. The Bible does not say that. What does the Bible say? The Bible says, Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, He will live in you until you make your first mistake. Is that what Jesus says? No, He will be in you. And when He comes to be, He's with you now. But when He comes to live in you, He will be in you forever. Now see, religiously minded people say, you, you shouldn't tell people that. They'll use it as an excuse to sin. First of all, we never needed an excuse to sin, right? Okay. But what we see from Titus 2.11 is this, that the grace of God that brings salvation, that has appeared to all men, that has brought us salvation. Let me tell you what grace will do. Understanding the grace of God will teach you to live righteously. It will teach you to live soberly in this present evil world. When you understand what God has done for you, this is what motivates you. 1 John chapter 3, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And why should we be called children of God? Because we are children of God. And and then he goes on to verse 3. Listen to this. He says, And whoever has this confident expectation within himself or herself, let me tell you what it will motivate you to do. It will motivate you to purify your life even as Christ is pure. The ultimate answer, the ultimate motivation to get the junk and the garbage and and the filth out of our lives is to understand the inward realities of the new birth. To understand whose we are and how much He loves us and what He's done for us and the price that He paid for us and the patience that He has with us and the mercy that He has shown to us and the grace that He's lavished upon us. When you understand that 
and believe on it. Amen. That, that will motivate you to get the junk out of your life. But see, religion tries to do what? They try to scare you. They try to guilt you. They try to shame you and condemn you into living right. Jesus bled to death naked on a cross to get guilt and shame and fear and condemnation out of you. And I'm telling you now, as a, as a minister, and I'm not just talking to me, I'm talking to every person listening to me, because every person listening to me right now is a minister. Guilt, fear, shame, and condemnation are not in your toolbox. People are trying to figure out how to be free from guilt, fear, shame, and condemnation. And don't you ever use guilt, fear, shame, and condemnation to try to motivate somebody to do right because it, it doesn't work. It, threat of punishment. I'm sure, I'm sure nobody in this room, but you probably know somebody. Amen. Y'all figured out by now what I mean when I say that, right? Mm-hmm. Who knew what the punishment was going to be before they did what they did, and they did it anyway. So this idea that if we can just convince people how hot hell is, they'll clean up their lives. No, 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 they won't, right? But if you can convince people how much deep, how deeply and how much God loves them and longs for them, sings over you while you sleep at night, numbers the hairs on your head, planned out a wonderful life for you before you ever leave the, lived a single day of it, right? See, you, you convince people of that, that's when we're making, we're making some progress. Amen? Thank you, Jesus. All right. I feel better already. Amen. Are you okay? So inward realities, inward realities of the new birth. I forget what, what class, amen, we said discipleship. One way we define, my, probably my favorite definition of discipleship the Lord's ever given to me. Discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. You became something the day you were born again that you were not before. You became something the day you were born again that you were not before. But most people, once they're born again, they never find out who they became. So because they don't know who they became, they still keep living like the person they were instead of the person they became. If you still think like the person you were before you were born again, you'll tend to still live like the person you were before you got born again, even though you're not that person anymore. You're not that person anymore. That person, that old person that you were was buried in an unmarked grave the instant you were born again and God put a new identity, a new spirit in you, a new you in you, if you will. Amen. But again, if, if, if uh, we, we preached it this way on Sunday, some of you guys were here, right? Um, it's think of, a, think of a computer as hardware and the program that runs that computer as software, okay? And... You know, I'm, I, they say it. I'm appled up. Okay, I, I've I've committed to the, to the. Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, amen. It's it's uh, the Apple ecosystem, and part of the reason I enjoy it is because it it the sync factors. You know, I can work on my iPad on my phone. You know, I can start a sermon on my on my desktop. Go sit in a hospital waiting room, open up my phone and work on it right there. I mean, it's, you know, that that whole thing. But I think maybe because you know, Apple's just come out with a new operating system for their uh, uh, iPhone and iPad and then um, the new OS for the Mac and all that's coming out. And what I'm saying all this, okay, it's because in operating system, right, we, we have new hardware in a born-again spirit, but 
but we're trying to function with an old operating system that was installed back when we were doing God only knows what, living God only knows how. And so this whole renewing of the mind, this whole concept of repentance, a new condition of mind, it's about the process of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Word of God installing within you and me a new operating system that is compatible with the born-again spirit that we have in us even now. Amen? You see that? Can you, can you follow that? Okay. And so discipleship is how that operating system is installed. Discipleship is how that operating system is installed. When I began to see these things and understand these things several years ago, many years ago, you know, I was out there, I'm like, oh God, you know, when I understand what you did in my spirit, why won't you just go ahead and do that in my soul? Your soul is your mind, emotions, and will. Why don't you just go ahead and change my soul the way you change my spirit? And, and man, we'll just be on about it right now, you know. And the Lord very quickly, He said, it's a sacred line I will not cross without your cooperation. And so if you go back to it, God didn't create us to be programmed robots. He created us with free will. And so He said, if your mind is ever going to change... I'll help you change it, but you're going to have to cooperate with me in the changing of it. I just wish I could go to sleep and wake up, you know, with not a wrong thought and only right ones. Um, and the Lord's helping me. That's, that's the whole spirit of wisdom, revelation, and knowledge of God. But when we talk about the instant work of the Holy Spirit in our lives at salvation, have been saved, the ongoing progressive work of discipleship, the renewing of the mind, are being saved. That's the soul. And then the Bible says you will be saved. Okay, salvation in three tenses. That will be saved is talking about when our body, spirit, soul, and body. One day this mortal will become immortal. Amen. And that's when our salvation will be complete. Watch this now. He who began a good work in you. Anybody ever heard that verse? He's faithful to complete it unto the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So spirit, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, soul and body. Amen. So I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. It's not either or, it's all three at the same time. Amen? Amen. Amen. And we'll get into all those verses and things of that nature later. All right, now. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Let's do this. Next point on discipleship. Discipleship, and I've... I've Every year I seem to sit here at this point and try to figure out a way to make it sound better or not be so cumbersome. But anyway, I wanted to paint a word picture more than it sound poetic, okay? Discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. Discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose and God-given destiny. Amen. So when I, all right, look at me. There we go. Y'all, y'all were supposed to signal me. All right, okay, all right, amen. One more time. Discipleship is the bridge that carries you from salvation. Salvation is where this begins. So many people see salvation as an end in and of itself. Salvation is the means to a greater end. We use the example of people who would go to an amusement park and just be so happy they got in the front gate but never go and enjoy all the attractions and, and sights and, and thrill rides or whatever that are contained within that park's offerings. And this is the way so many of God's people are. They're so content 
with just being saved and, and being in the front gate uh, that they never understand salvation is a point of entry into all that God has for them. And so discipleship is how we go from this point of salvation into the fulfillment of your purpose. Every person listening to me right now has a God-given destiny, a God-given purpose. Every single person. God never created a human being without a purpose, without a destiny. Okay? Without a purpose, without a destiny. And the sweet spot of life is when you understand what your purpose and what your destiny, what those things are, and, and are actively involved and engaged in it. If, if, if you can ever get to that point in life, relapse, backsliding is, is almost impossible. Because of the joy and the fulfillment and the contentment that comes, the idea is why would I ever trade what I have now for what I once had and how I used to live. So discipleship, again, is the bridge. If, if, you got, you know, if you're on one side of a river and you need to get to the other side of the river, you you, you got to get across that river somehow, right? So think about, okay, I'm born again, but now out there is the fulfillment of my purpose and God-given destiny. How do I get from here to the fulfillment of that purpose and destiny? Discipleship. Discipleship, right? And, and it's interesting to me because a lot of times people look for all kinds of shortcuts, okay? Now, don't misunderstand me. I, I, I believe in good education, okay? But education alone is not enough, right? You follow what I mean by this? Education alone is not enough to get you to the fulfillment of your God-given purpose and destiny, okay? So let's talk about this in the time that we have remaining. We've got about 20 more minutes. Can you believe it's just... Let me go about so fast. All right. So let's go to Matthew chapter 9. And I'm going to read some of these verses rather quickly. Um, praise God. Uh, then Jesus went about all the cities uh, and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Okay? Now, let me get that last verse up here. Okay. So I think this is interesting for a lot of reasons. One, um, think about how Jesus is seeing the people versus how the disciples are seeing the people. A lot of times, if you read it carefully, sometimes the disciples saw the people as annoying all right, because they wanted to kind of corner the market on Jesus. They wanted some, some personal time with Jesus. They wanted, they wanted to kind of have him to themselves. And, and so there are times, you know, like in John 6 where Jesus tells them to feed the people. And they're like, feed them. Send them away. Let them feed themselves. You know, they, they, they weren't really, uh, again, praise God. I'm not judging anybody. I'm just saying, right. But Jesus, he sees the multitudes as sheep with no shepherd. Sheep with no shepherd. And he says that, you know, there's a lot of work to be done and there's very few people who are willing to do the work. Are you seeing this? Now, Jesus doesn't just ask the disciples because he's training them to do some work and they're going to do it and they're going to enjoy it and they're going to have wild success. But Jesus recognizes that 12 more workers is still not going to be enough. 
And so he asks them to pray for laborers as well as he's going to send them out. So now let's go to Matthew chapter 10 and verse number 1. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. All right? Now, we know that they went out uh, six pairs of two. He sent them out two by two. He gave them some very specific instructions on what to preach and what to do. And I think it's also interesting that those instructions included their trusting him for their provision and trusting God to open doors for people that they would encounter uh, to care for them and to provide for them. Because that's a huge part right there. We've got to learn how to trust God for what we need. And so this is a laboratory. This is a, this is a training exercise. And he tells them not to pack a bag, but just to go. And, and he also gave them instructions on what to do if they were rejected. If they were rejected. And I wish I could tell you that everybody you'll ever try to help in life is going to receive you with open arms. People will reject you. He told them to gently shake the dust off their feet and to move on to the next town. Okay, And we see from their experience that they would experience rejection. Uh, you know, from, from their uh, encounters, they would experience rejection. But then they would go somewhere else and people would receive them uh, you know, as heroes and, and respond uh, to their ministry. I think it's important to note that instructions are to shake the dust off your feet as opposed to what? Throwing a temper tantrum in the dust and getting the dust all over your clothes and hair, right? So don't take it personally when people reject you, amen? Just move on and, and find uh, the, the next folks, right? That, that, are, you, are you with me? Amen. Go on and move, find the next people that, um, that God would have you uh, to minister to. Amen? Amen? Okay, praise God. Now, we see that they went out and they had uh, tremendous success and they came back and gave report of that. Now, I wanna, I'm just trying to show you something. We're building again here, but kind of in building mode. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 10. And um, I'm sorry, yeah, Luke chapter 10 and verse number 1. Luke 10 and 1. It says, After these things the Lord appointed 70 others also and sent them two by two before His face into every city and place where He Himself was about to go. Right Now, this is important because religion will try to tell you today that only apostles did miracles, and when the last apostle died, miracles ceased. The Bible does not support that at all. We see that um, Jesus performed miracles. He then authorized his 12 disciples to go and preach this gospel and to cast out devils and to heal the sick. And we know their names, but now we have 70 others also. We don't know their names, okay? We don't know who these people are. But now we've got 35 pairs of two, 35 pairs of two, two times 35 is 70. We've got 35 pairs of two who have uh, gone out and are uh, before his face. And it's where Jesus, different places Jesus was going to go. He sent them out ahead of him. And he basically gave them the same instructions. Now, look at this uh, in uh, verse uh, 17. So this is when they return. I want you to pay very close attention to this. 
Uh, then the seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Wow. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. Okay? Now, we see that they returned from this uh, mission assignment and experienced tremendous success. Tremendous success. These are disciples. We know of the, of the 12, but, but now notice that these men and women who have made this commitment to discipleship, Jesus is sending them out to do what he did. Remember, discipleship is to assimilate oneself into those being taught. So now he's sending them out to do what he did in places that he was about to go himself. Now, Notice that this group of 70, they were so excited that demons were subject to them in his name. Now follow me very closely here because Jesus was bringing some correction. And his correction was needed then and it's needed today. And the reason it's needed then and today is because just like then people today have this image of devils and demons like they're somehow as powerful as God, and they are not. Satan was once Lucifer, and he is now an archangel wannabe. Okay? He is not and never, first of all, he never was God. He never was all-powerful. He never was uh, omnipresent. He never was all-knowing, and he certainly isn't now that he has fallen from heaven like lightning. But the people are excited and rejoicing. And let me, if I could, pardon uh, the sports analogy if these things offend you, but Coach Paul Bear Bryant, if you know anything about how he managed the sideline and his team, if it didn't matter if he was a star player. If that star player scored a touchdown and cut a fool in the end zone, Coach Bryant would uh, bench him. Okay. And his attitude was this. When you go into the end zone and score a touchdown, you politely hand the football back to the official and you act like you've been to the end zone before and you act like you'll be back soon. Okay. Now, what's the point of all that? Well, you go into the end zone, you act like this is some rare thing. He wanted them to have a mindset that scoring touchdowns is what we do. Scoring touchdowns is why we practice and, and, and prepare and work so hard. And so scoring touchdowns uh, is not something that we should uh, act all crazy and ridiculous about, right? Uh, so what is, stay with me now, what, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, listen, you're embarrassing yourself getting so excited because demons are subject to you in my name. He says, demons have always been subject to you. You just didn't know that. They've been pulling one over on you this whole time. And we're right about it. Amen. See, the Bible teaches that, that angels are ministering spirits 
sent forth to minister for the heirs of salvation. The angels that once only served God before you and I were created, right, now serve both God and you and me. And demons are fallen angels. So we see that, for instance, holy angels respond to the voice of God's Word. They respond to what you say out of your mouth. They hasten to perform what you say and what you pray, again, meant to serve and minister for you. Stay with me now, okay? So, so he's saying, in essence, listen, demons are beneath you. You shouldn't be rejoicing and celebrating and high-fiving one another because you cast out a demon. You were always supposed to be able to cast out demons. They were always supposed to be under your feet. But what you need to instead be excited about is that your names are written in heaven. Okay? All right. Now, here is the last thing. Amen. We've got on this particular passage. Stay with me. In that hour, verse 21 In that hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and revealed them to babes. Notice the word revealed. Who revealed it to them? God revealed it to them. This is revelation. This is not information. This isn't something they necessarily learned in a classroom, but it's something that they experienced stepping out in faith, obeying Jesus, and experiencing right what it is that He had empowered them and enabled them to do. And so when it says, and it, and it seems so, um, uh, I don't know the right word, it just seems so inconspicuous, this word rejoiced in the Spirit. Rejoiced in the Spirit. Let me tell you what this means, and, and I think it will give you a better uh, perspective on this passage. When it says that Jesus rejoiced in the Spirit, it literally means that He danced, that He jumped in the air and spun around. All right? Now, down south, we might say it this way. Jesus cut a jig, right? <laughs> Jesus is absolutely beside Himself with excitement. And joy. He is absolutely beside himself to hear the reports that he received from the 70. Okay? Now, why is that? Why is Jesus so excited about this? Jesus is excited about this because for the first time in a long, 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 long time, human beings on planet Earth are taking their place back. People on planet Earth are doing what they were always meant to do. Remember in the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, He gave them dominion. Dominion means authority from God to rule your domain. He gave them dominion and He told them if any anything gets out of line, you subdue it. Amen. He empowered them to bring things into order and to bring things under subjection. God would have never empowered them to bring things into subjection unless there were things that were going to need to be brought into subjection. He would have never given them the ability or the instruction. If something gets out of line, you subdue it. He would have never given them the power and the ability and the instructions to subdue things unless there were going to be things in our domain that needed to be subdued. Okay? And so now the devil for generation after generation after generation after generation has deceived humankind into thinking that he is as powerful as God and that he can do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it and that we're at his mercy and that, and that, 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 that we, we are you know, just poor, pitiful, measly, uh, under his thumb, under his rule. 
And so Jesus explains this and sends them out and they're casting out demons, they're healing the sick, and they come back and give report of Jesus, report to Jesus of these things, and Jesus absolutely overflows with joy and excitement. Why am I telling you all this? Well, what does that tell you then about his desire for us? Do you think these were the only people that Jesus wanted to see, um, you know, ruling and reigning in life the way God intended for us to rule and reign our domain through partnership with him? So, again, we were created by God to rule and reign over our domain, over our domain through partnership with him. Ruling your domain. See, what's happened is this is hardwired into us. To, 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 to be in control, to be in charge, to rule and reign in life. This is hardwired into us. This is why when you're not in control, you want to be. Am I right about it? We were never meant to be subject to our emotions. We were never meant to be subject to and, and, and enslaved by things of this world, devils and demons and substances and, and fear and anxiety, all these emotional things. Um, so again... We were created by God to rule and reign over our domain through partnership with Him. So without the partnership that, we, that this requires with God, we still want to rule and reign. And so what winds up happening is we try to rule and reign over other people. We, we, try, to, we try to subdue other people. We try to manipulate other people into somehow providing for us what we can only fully and truly receive from God. So ruling your domain is not the same as ruling over people. We're talking about circumstances, situations, devils, and demons. You've been authorized to rule over and subdue. Amen? Y'all still with me? Okay, now. This, for those of you here last week when Sister Amy, and I wish she was here tonight, but she, she'll be at church, but she said she, she's training some folks at her job and couldn't get away, so... But she's, she did her little twirl around. Anybody saw her? This is what she was talking about, right? Jesus rejoiced in spirit. Man, I, how about let's get, a, let's get an image of Jesus as somebody who could break it down one time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that can, you understand what I mean by that, right? You know what I'm saying? I mean, let's get an image of Jesus that, that somebody that can, you know, instead of just real stoic and pasty looking and constipated looking all the time. No, man, Jesus is like... Jesus, like, I, I kind of picture, you ever seen somebody jump up in the air and spin around? And yeah, I mean, that, that was how excited he was about this. Okay. All right. Now, let me, um, let's, let's go at least five more minutes. Okay. Five more minutes. You got five more minutes? Okay. All right. So here's, here's our last point for the evening. And this is where we'll begin uh, next class. Okay. And this is very important. All right. Every born again believer has been called. To do the work of the ministry. Every. Ooh, the devil does not like me saying this. Okay. Every born again believer. Has been called. To do. The work. Of the ministry. What is the mindset. So many people in the body of Christ have today. That it's the pastor. Who does the work of the ministry. That's his job. That's what we pay him for, okay? And we have this so confused that we don't understand how God has established his kingdom to work and to prosper here on planet Earth. Let me give you 
a passage. Ephesians chapter 4. Let's begin at verse 11. Ephesians 4 and 11. And He Himself, speaking of Jesus, gave some, some as opposed to everybody, He gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Okay? Now, this is what some people refer to as the executive branch of God's government, right? I, I, I don't necessarily use that kind of terminology. But what he's talking about here are men and women who have been separated from their mother's womb, meaning God chose, God called, God gave to some these different ministry gifts and offices. Okay? So what we're talking about now are the five-fold ministry offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor-teacher. Some people take pastor-teacher and combine those two as one, okay? But there, there are, I think, some... I think every pastor is a teacher. Not necessarily every teacher is a pastor, Okay? I'm not trying to split hairs on you. I'm just, again, the interest of being thorough. So we see that these are, again, men and women that God has called, separated from their mother's womb, to serve in these offices. Just like we have in our country the office of the president, and then different people occupy that office at different times. Who's in the office may change, but the office doesn't. And so God has established the office of the apostle, the office of the prophet, the office of the evangelist, the office of the pastor and teacher. And then he installs men and women in those offices to perform the various duties that are, um, you know, those offices are responsible for. Are you with me? Okay. Now, he's going to explain, he's going to explain in, and I'm not going to go through all of this. I'm just going to go through the next one for now. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. And then he goes on for the edifying of the body of Christ. To edify means to build up. It means to build up. If, if you... If you... I'm going to be careful here, okay? Okay. If you have a pastor who is not building you up, you, you need to probably run for your life, but at least pray. Um, amen. Okay. Now, why would a pastor ever tear somebody down? Again, because he, he doesn't understand his role as a servant leader. See, the model of leadership that Jesus established for us is the role of a servant leader. Okay, I am the servant leader of this family of faith here at Heritage Christian Center. I'm the leader, but I don't, I don't lead from a position of lording over. I lead from a position of submitting to and coming under and supporting to build up. That's what Jesus did. Jesus said the people who don't know God, they lord over and they see the people that are under them as benefactors. What does that mean? That those people exist for my benefit. See, if you have a pastor who thinks you exist in his church for his benefit, 
you probably need to run for your life, but you at least need to pray about whether that's where you need to be or not. Okay? So I'm here to build you up. My prayer is that you come here, eat you some Nikots and some crackers, and feast on the Word of God, and then you leave here built up. Amen. I don't know about you, but I've been to church before, and I left feeling worse than I did when I came. That ain't what God has in mind. That is not what this is supposed to be about. Are you with me? Amen. Okay. So we also see then that one of the primary responsibilities of the fivefold ministry offices is to equip the individual member of the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. Notice there is no comma, there is no comma in verse 12 after, um, uh, see some people say, well, it's equipping the saints, comma, and then for the work of the ministry, comma. In other words, that we somehow are separating those two thoughts from one another. They're not two separate thoughts. Let me, see if it, let me say it another way, okay? What he's saying here is this. Part of my job as a pastor teacher in the body of Christ is to equip and prepare other members of the body of Christ to do the work of the ministry. See, if we keep doing and, and if we keep wallowing under the deception that has permeated so much of the body of Christ today, we'll never get the job done that we're here to get done. And if, if we think that the ones who are supposed to be equipping everybody else to do the work are the only ones who are supposed to be doing any work, or watch this, are the only ones who are called, the only ones who are qualified, the only ones who can... That's the other thing people, people tell you. They're one, of the, one of the largest Christian, quote-unquote, Christian uh, denominations on planet Earth tell their people, don't read the Bible. Don't read the Bible. You, you've got a priest to do that for you. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Now, there's a whole lot that we can and we'll get into here, and I've then gone over my five minutes, okay? But... How can we become equipped? See, I, I need to hush now, but I've, I've gone too far, so let me just say this, okay? Thank you, Holy Spirit. All right. <clears throat> Remember when I told you that these classes are not about becoming something you're not? You're not coming to discipleship class to become something that you're not, okay? Inward reality of the new birth, outward expression of life. See, the Lord told me something one time, and it, it really, you know, he, he said that if, he said that, <laughs> it's kind of personal, but I'll, amen. Have you ever heard of imposter syndrome? Okay. One, I've dealt with that in different areas in, in my life, okay? And one where I really deal with it is in writing, like writing books, okay? And um, you would think after having actually published a book that you would see yourself as an author. <laughs> Devil don't care. He'll just keep telling you, 
you're not an author. You know, and this is what the Lord told me one day. Are you ready? This is what he told me. He said, I made you an author. He said, if you had never written a single book, you'd have lived your whole life and died an author. Are you, are you, are you following what I'm saying? Okay, all right. So when we talk about what God has made you, that was, that, was a, that was set in stone before you ever came to this planet. Are you understand what I'm saying? God decided this. You say, well, I'm not sure I like that. Oh, you're going to like it. I'm telling you. You're going to. You say, well, I can't ever see myself doing that. Well, maybe God, if God has seen you doing it, then you need to be about doing it, right? Because you, you were made for it. Amen. Are you following what I'm saying? Okay. All right. So it seems to me, and I don't, I'm saying that too loosely. It's more, way more definitive than that. My, part of my destiny is helping you find yours. Part of my destiny is, is helping you become equipped to do what God put you on this earth to do. Now, I, don't, I didn't choose this. I used what I'm saying. In the same way that you didn't choose whatever it is that God has chosen you for. I'm talking to pastors right now in this room. I'm talking to evangelists, prophets, prophets apostles in this room. I'm not. Amen. So equipping you. Watch this now. Not to make you something you're not, but to help you become more effective. See, it's one thing for God to make you an author. It's another thing for you to become an effective writer. It's one thing for God to make you a teacher. It's another thing for you to become an effective teacher. My nephew picked up a guitar one day and could play it. Never had a lesson. He's an amazing guitar player. But now watch this. I also watched him practice till his fingers bled. Right? Because he wanted to sharpen and, and, and hone and, and become more effective in what it is that God has called him to do. Amen. All right, we'll talk more about it next week. Father, thank you for your life and love, for your peace and your joy. Thank you for what you're teaching us and showing us. Lord, a little different flavor, a little different tone to the class tonight. But, Lord, I thank you that you've spoken to us and we've heard you. And, Lord, we're responding to you. We are not just hearing your voice and doing nothing. We're hearing your voice and we're responding. And some of the key things that you instructed us tonight, Lord, by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God concerning concern our setting our minds. Setting our minds. And I thank you, Lord, for helping us set our minds on you this week in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, know that you love. Thank you for being here. Good things coming. Life and peace to you and yours. Amen.